Welcome to Perimenopology, where we explore and converse about what it means to transition out of the young, hot, fertile, and fuckable walks that our society labels as most worthy when you were socialized as a woman. Around here, we're all about body literacy and talking about the topics that society tells us are unimportant or inappropriate. I'm Michelle Kapler, reproductive acupuncturist, Chinese medicine practitioner, and master feminist confidence coach, and you've got episode 38. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Perimenopology. Today, I'm sharing my conversation with my guest, Elizabeth Sherman. She and I met when we were both completing the advanced certification in feminist coaching. She came to the program as a weight loss and health coach and out of the certification decided to pivot her approach to health and weight over 40 and in perimenopause. Today in our conversation, we're going to talk about her professional transition, where she decided that she didn't want to focus on intentional weight loss and do that work as a health coach, how we can define our health in ways other than the size of our bodies, getting in touch with how we feel after certain health initiatives, as opposed to how small it will make our bodies, what thoughts might come up as we're doing this, and of course, how our socialization and conditioning in patriarchy affect how we think about all of this. Before I share my interview, I want to offer Elizabeth's professional bio. Elizabeth Sherman is a master certified health and life coach who helps women experiencing discomfort due to perimenopause, as well as all of the other stressful demands that seem to accompany this season of life, physical changes, emotional demands, physiological changes, and mental load. Elizabeth hosts a weekly podcast called Done With Dieting, a podcast for the women who, in spite of all of those demands, has been socialized to focus on her appearance, selflessly do for others, and in doing so becomes the best supporting actress in the movie of her own life. Elizabeth is a Chicago native, but now conducts her coaching business as an expat in Mexico and meets with her clients through video, focusing on the areas of health, eating, moving, stress, and sleep management, body image, and how we think about all of them through a feminist lens. So without further ado, here is my interview with Elizabeth Sherman. All right, everybody, thank you for being here on Perimenopology with us. I have an amazing conversation planned for you all today with Elizabeth Sherman, who has so generously agreed to come on the podcast and talk about weight loss and health and perimenopause. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Michelle. I'm really super excited about our conversation today because you were just a guest on my podcast, and so it'll be super fun to have this conversation on the other side. Yeah, it's going to be great. So one thing that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago that really caught my ear was that when you originally started your coaching career as a health coach, you were mostly focused on helping people with intentional weight loss. And we were talking about your business and your brain and how that can evolve over time and how you were kind of leaning towards maybe not marketing weight loss and not offering explicit weight loss in the same ways anymore. So I'd love to hear about that journey in your brain and how that transition is coming along. Yeah. So I have officially shifted niches from weight loss to menopause and women's health in midlife. And the the reason why is because, well, one, the name of my podcast is actually called Done With Dieting. We know that diets don't work. And there's this whole 
a movement of health of any size and anti-dieting, which I 100% support. And so people are getting confused with me as to you call yourself a weight loss coach, but yet you don't do diets. How does that work? And it was really clear in my mind of how I did that because I followed um, more of an intuitive eating type approach with my clients. Um, what I do is I teach women how to listen to their bodies. And so when we talk about menopause, perimenopause symptoms, I see those symptoms as the body's way of saying, hey, something's not right. Now, I'm not going to say that all of those symptoms are diet, exercise, sleep, and stress-related, but I think that as a Western society, we generally go to how do I fix this through medical intervention? How do I fix this with a pill? And what I was trying to do, what I still try to do, is teach my clients that we can actually do quite a bit through modifying our diet and exercising in a healthy way, uh, changing our relationship with food and exercise and our bodies so that we're paying attention to listening to the cues, the subtle cues that our body is sending, and then being able to respond to it. Um, and so there were a number of reasons why I actually shifted my niche. And one was, I never really talk about weight loss with my clients. And it's so funny. I have talked to a number of clients just recently, and they've all said, I didn't think your methods were going to work. I, when we started, I was really super skeptical, but it actually works. And so... When I really thought about why is it that I want to shift from weight loss to health, one is when we start taking care of our bodies, it sometimes takes a while. Even if we want to lose weight, it can sometimes take a while for us to build trust back with our bodies. And what I mean by that is we've all been raised in a society that values thinness and attractiveness over health. And so for many women, we have gone on diet after diet after diet. And so when we enter into menopause, perimenopause, we can no longer do the exercise and starvation diet because our body's like, ah, I'm on to you. I know what's going to happen next. And so our body kind of holds on to the fat. And what I like to do is I like to give the body vitamins, minerals, and make sure that the body is getting enough nutrients so that it then feels safe to then release the fat. So to go back, I know that I've talked a while and I realized that, Michelle, you haven't said a word, <laughs> that what happens is when I'm marketing weight loss, I actually attract someone who is so stressed out about, I've hired you and now I want weight loss. And the body just doesn't work that way. When we stress 
out about the number on the scale, (laughs) stress is like the number one thing that will stop weight loss in its tracks. So if you're stressed out about losing weight, well, guess what? It's kind of, you're doing the opposite. And so by dropping weight loss, my goal is that I'm looking for people who are more interested in their health and not that weight loss quick fix type of thought pattern. I love that. And no worries that it was a long answer because that was exactly what I wanted you to tell us about. So that was perfect. My next question for you is, I get the same feedback in my clinical practice. And you know, I also don't advertise that I help people clinically with weight loss. Usually when people come to me, they want help with their insomnia or their hot flashes or mood swings or something like that. But inevitably, as we go through the initial appointment and I'm talking to them about their goals and why they decided to reach out to me and what they're looking to accomplish, inevitably, weight loss comes up in the conversation. Inevitably, for the large majority of people, it's, yeah, my body size and shape are changing. The things that I used to be able to do to control that size and shape are no longer effective. And so I always have this interesting conversation with people about, you know, like what's kind of behind that desire. So I'm interested to hear what your clients say. Like, what are the reasons why they're wanting to lose the weight? And how do you talk through that with them? Yeah, that's a really good question. And what's really interesting is I think that my clients are sophisticated enough that they know that they should not want to lose weight. And so they mask it in all of these other things, like my joints hurt, or I don't want to have to go out and buy new clothes. Those are probably the big ones that they don't want to buy new clothes, that their clothes are fitting just a little bit differently, um, that their joints are bothering them when they do things that they normally used to do, like running or rock climbing or things like that. And so um, how do we navigate through that? That's a really good question. And I think that it changes for everyone. One is, I think that, and I'm going to talk about this in my own experience, because I've gone through this myself as a woman who's in menopause, I've seen my body change. And I, for a really long time, still wanted my body to look like a teenager's. And I started questioning myself, like who said that a 55-year-old woman should have the body shape of a teenager? Because How many of us still want to be the weight that we were when we first got our driver's license, which is ridiculous. And then the other piece is even wanting the body that we had when we were 30 years old. Like who decided that a woman's body in her 50s, that she shouldn't get a belly, that she shouldn't thicken around her waist? Like, who decided this? And I think 
what it comes down to is when we start to look at the messages that we've received growing up of what it means to age, what it means to be a woman. And I mean, we all, we've all seen it that when we're younger, here's, here's an interesting story. When I was 13, my family and I went to Montreal and I am the youngest of six kids. I remember walking through a park in Montreal and my sister, who's seven or eight years older than I am, noticing that all of the men were looking at me as we were walking by. And so as a young girl, I'm being looked at by older men. Maybe they were in their teenagers. I don't really recall. Um, But I do recall that statement that she made, that observation that she made to my mom. And also noticing when people look at me. And so as I grew up, I started noticing that I was attractive. When we start to age out, we stop getting those glances on the street. And a lot of women attribute it to their attractiveness. And it's not necessarily that they're not attractive anymore. They're just not, we don't look the way that we used to. And it's really a disconnect for so many women that, Our bodies are changing. Our physical appearance is changing. And we don't really have any role models. We're starting to see more role models of women who are aging and quote unquote doing it gracefully, right? Because you have to age gracefully. Yeah, whatever that means. Exactly. Yeah. We're starting to see that more. But it's still like this hyper-sexualized view of women who are older. Like, Helen Mirren, she's she's gorgeous, but she's still kind of hypersexualized, right? And you know, um, who else? Selma Hayek and you know Sophia Loren, like all of these women who really have been able to keep their uh, their sex appeal, so to speak. Yeah, and so I think that that's really where many women have the. The problem is with being perceived in this different light. And I think that as a woman who's in her 50s, we get to decide how we want the narrative to be for us. And so we can shape that. And I, I see a, there's a movement going on right now. I think that's so fascinating. A couple of things that I want to say. First of all, I threw up a little bit in my mouth when I heard about older dudes gawking at you as a child. I'm so sorry that was your experience. That's really gross. Second of all, it brings up this interesting point where, yes, there are these ideas that it's better to be young. It's better to be thin. It's better to be conventionally attractive. It's better to have a particular body size and adipose tissue distribution in your body. But I think that if we actually ask women what they think, they're like, well, no, of course you shouldn't have a particular type of stomach just because you're like, it's not bad to have a particular type of stomach. And if that's associated with being over 40, that I don't actually agree with that. And that's all kind of bullshit. But we have this 
tendency to look outside of ourselves. Women are socialized to look at others for the answers instead of tuning into their own self-authority. And I'm interested in hearing from you how you see that showing up in the health of your clients and how that impacts things. Yeah. And that actually has a lot to do with how I'm shifting my business because for many women, And it's funny, I was just on a coaching call where I was asking my coach a very similar question, just not about health, that we doubt our own ability to make our own decisions. And we see this in health all the time. We go to our doctor and we don't advocate for ourselves. We do whatever the doctor tells us to do. If the doctor tells us, hey, your labs are fine and I don't see anything wrong, you're just you know, you're just hormonal, then we're going to accept that as, well, there's the doctor doesn't see anything wrong with me, but still I feel something's wrong. And so there's this loop that goes on in our heads, like, well, what the heck is going on? And it creates all of this self-doubt. And so where I really see my business going is that I am teaching women how to have their own authority in their health. Like, let's figure out what foods make you feel good, what foods don't make you feel good, how much of those foods you can include in your diet without having negative side effects, what the right type of movement is for you, how much sleep you need, and look at what are, start connecting the dots between your health behaviors and how you feel. So that it's a completely different experience when I give you a diet and it says you can't eat bread, you can't drink wine, for example, and then you go out to dinner and you're like, Elizabeth's not here. She's not the boss of me. So I'm going to have wine and I'm going to have, you know, bread. And then the next, that night, you don't sleep well. And when you don't sleep well, then the following day, you're kind of cranky with everyone and you just feel out of sorts. And then you dive into the chocolate because you have these cravings because physiologically, when we don't sleep well, our body's cells don't repair correctly and they don't make energy. So therefore, we're going to go for what's easily available. The brain knows that chocolate, chips, whatever, simple carbs are going to be easier. So And then being able to connect those dots and make your own conclusions. Because in the first situation where I've given you a diet, you then feel like, oh, well, the diet didn't work, or I feel so much shame because I couldn't follow it, versus starting to notice, oh, I can have one glass of wine, but if I have two or three, that's when it starts to disrupt my sleep. And, oh, look at that. That's so interesting. When I have disrupted sleep, then I notice that I just don't function properly the next day. And I also get these cravings mid-afternoon. And so it's a completely different experience when we start to notice how what we do impacts the rest of our lives. And so to bring this back to you know our lives, in general, it shows women that we can have authority over our own health 
And then we can actually see, because we've been in the advanced certification of feminist coaching together. Once you're able to see all of the messages that we've received from society, it's kind of like being a fish in water. All of a sudden you see the water and you're like, oh, I get it. All of these messages that are trying to keep me small, that are trying to keep me where I am, I get to decide whether or not I believe those or not. And so then I can advocate for myself and I can um, do what's right for me without having to feel fear or judgment from external sources. So here's my next question for you. Is it possible to work on body acceptance, body neutrality, and also work to improve your health? And I'll explain what I mean a little bit more about this. We're living in this cultural shift now. We're beginning to realize that maybe the size of our bodies or the shapes of our bodies don't actually have any type of connection or relationship to our inherent worth as humans. There are more incredible influencers out there that are spreading this message. There are more medical professionals that are speaking up about how you know, weight and body size isn't the be-all end-all, and it doesn't necessarily have any connection to somebody's health outcomes, being the size in particular. But we're in this place where we're aware that we're being manipulated by marketing and media and things like that. And we're aware that we grew up in a culture where we were taught that the thinner you are, the healthier you are, the smaller your body is, the better it is. And at the same time, we still want to make these efforts to improve our health and live our best lives. So we kind of get stuck in this place where we're like, well, I want to believe this thing, but this thing is also a goal of mine. So my question is, in your experience, can you do both? Can you love your body or you know, accept your body or be working on accepting your body and still want to make changes? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that there are two parts to it. One is that diet culture is so embedded in our psyche that I still, and I know that my coach still has these little like ghost thoughts. Like every once in a while, I'll look at myself in the mirror and I'll be like, oh, and oh, in a bad way. And I'll think to myself, I need to lose weight. And then I'm like, oh, no, 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 Elizabeth. No, you don't. So I don't know that those thoughts ever go away. And so that being said, we can change our relationship to those thoughts, meaning that we don't have to believe them. Now, that being said, the way that I look at coaching with my clients is we, again, We really want to take away weight loss. We want to take that off the table initially. And we want to do things, eat right, eat vegetables, eat proteins, eat minimally processed foods, limit treats, not overeat. We want to do those things, exercise, from a place of doing it because it makes me feel good. Okay, and that's where where I start with my clients. We are doing these things not to get the result of losing weight, 
but rather to figure out what makes you feel good. What makes you feel good tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Because when we have weight loss on the table, then we immediately go to it's not working. So when we can do the things that we're doing, when we can practice self-care and minimize our stress, get enough sleep, exercise for a way that's appropriate for our body and eat in a way that's appropriate for our body and how we enjoy eating, what will happen is our body will naturally go to wherever it's supposed to be. And what I like to do then is I like to use coaching to then ask my client, so, okay, are you willing to do anything more severe? meaning be more restrictive with your diet or exercise more or whatever it is. And when they're at a place where they're like, no, these are the health habits that I want to have on a regular basis because they make me feel good and they're doable considering my lifestyle. Then we coach on the body image to get them the rest of the way, because it doesn't make any sense to beat yourself up for either not having the habits that you think you should, or so let's say that you do have the habits that you think you should. It doesn't make any sense then to beat yourself up about not having the body that you think you should. So once you get to a place where you're eating like you want to, and you're exercising like you want to, you're sleeping like you want to, you're managing your stress, then it only makes sense that you should be able to accept your body as it is because it's just doing what it is meant to be doing. So does that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. That was a great answer. And I think that, you know, it's going to be highly individual for people. And I think that one thing that we can really take into account here is we just want to get away from all or nothing thinking. We want to get away from that black and white thinking where you're either healthy or you're not. You're either on the wagon or you're off the wagon. You're either doing it or you're not doing it. You're either amazing or you're totally screwed. I think that diet culture tends to lend itself to that way of thinking. And so I think that like you said earlier, we can make room to still have those thoughts and not necessarily make that mean that we're not doing it right or we're not, you know, performing properly. I know that I've definitely had that kind of theme come up in my health journey as well. As we were talking about it before we hit record here, my biggest journey in the advanced certification in feminist coaching was actually you know, working through some of my orthorexic tendencies and having an extremely restrictive relationship with food and actually going through this process of adding foods back in and experiencing the result that it didn't actually change my health outcomes all that much. But yeah, as a result of doing that, my body changed. And it was really interesting to observe how I would still walk, even though, even though I made the decision absolutely on purpose that I wanted to do this, that I liked my reasons for doing this and that I wanted to give a big fuck you, excuse my French, to diet culture in the weight loss industry, I would still walk by the mirror every time and kind of check myself out and look at the size of my stomach and the fat distribution of my body. And I would have these thoughts like, 
my brain immediately went to, yeah, I should probably go on a diet or try to lose some weight. And making room for that to exist, but not making it mean that I was doing something wrong, just simply knowing that it was a result of just being in it, that was an extremely comforting and freeing way of thinking of it. Yeah. You made me think about a story. I, when I, oh gosh, when was this? I want to say it was, I guess it was like in 2005-ish. I actually did a bodybuilding competition. Wow. And yeah. That's intense. It is intense. And I will never do one again. Well, (laughs) obviously, but my husband and I drove to San Antonio. We lived in Austin, Texas at the time. And I remember looking down in the car at my stomach and my stomach has rolls. A six pack. But looking at my rolls by looking down and thinking that I was fat. This was in like single digits body fat. My brain was unable to see anything different than what was wrong with it. And so being able to understand that the brain is always going to go there and we just don't have to believe those thoughts is really powerful. For sure. And I would also add to that just, again, coming from this context of being aware that there's another option. I mean, a lot of people know that there's another option other than totally hating yourself for the size of your body because a lot of people are talking about it now. So also to add on to that, not making yourself wrong for having those thoughts. It's understandable that somebody's brain would go there because, I mean, I grew up in the early 80s and was all about fat free and losing as much body fat as possible. Like that's the soup that I spent my childhood in. So of course my brain is going to go there immediately and it might always, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Elizabeth, I could talk to you for hours, but (laughs) I would love to ask you if somebody is just kind of coming to this place where they're starting to learn about these ideas. What's one thing that you would want to offer? And let's say it's somebody who's maybe just coming up to the perimenopausal transition. They're just getting started. What's one thing that you want them to know? Oh, well, so I think that when it comes to perimenopause, menopause, understanding that our bodies do change. And there, yes, there are hormonal responses that are happening in your body that are not going to be the same as everyone else's. And so because of that, what you're experiencing may be very different from someone else. You may not experience the the quintessential perimenopausal symptoms like insomnia and night sweats and hot flashes and cravings and things like that. However, that doesn't mean that what you're experiencing isn't perimenopause. And so I would suggest that you seek out as many people as you can talk about it. We are afraid to talk about perimenopause and menopause. For some reason, because of menses or periods or something like that, all of a sudden, menopause, perimenopause has been also deemed this dirty word, this dirty thing that we don't want to talk about. 
And we need to make it a more normalized topic of conversation. It's something that 50% of our population has, is, or will go through within their lifetime. And we want to make sure that future generations don't go into this being completely in the dark like we have been. So the more that we can normalize it, the more that we can talk about it, the more that you can seek support, the more you will know that you are not alone because you're not, and you are not going crazy because you're not. I love that so much because talking about these things doesn't only benefit us, which obviously it does, but the more we talk about it, the more we impact future generations and how they experience it. I think we were talking the other day how about neither one of us received any kind of information on menopause and perimenopause in our high school sex ed. But I think the future generations are finally getting to a place where they're talking about more than just, well, don't have sex, so you'll get pregnant, which is what we talked about the other day. So that's really good advice. Thank you. I know that people are going to be interested in finding you and following you. So tell me all of the ways that people can get in touch with you. Yes. So the best way I think is to, since you're a podcast listener, um, I would highly suggest that you listen to my podcast, which is called Done With Dieting. Um, you can find me on Instagram under the code name of Done With Dieting as well. Um, on Facebook, I go by Total Health by Eliz, and my website is elizabethsherman.com. Perfect. I will link all of that up in the show notes so you can click and find it easily. Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming and generously giving your time and your wisdom. Thank you for having me, Michelle. This was just lovely. So that was my interview with Elizabeth. If her message resonated with you, please find and follow her. I will link all of her info in the show notes so you can click and find it easily. That's it for me today. Until next time, thanks for listening. If you are loving what you're learning in the podcast and you want to take this work to a deeper level, let's work together. If you are a resident of Ontario, Canada, we can work together in a clinical setting, both virtually or in person, to help you find a unique and customized treatment plan to alleviate your perimenopausal symptoms and get you the relief you deserve using Chinese medicine. If you're looking for support with body image, confidence, advocating for yourself and seeking treatment, or just generally making your life as awesome as possible through this transition and beyond, I can help you anywhere in the world through coaching. To learn more about your options for working with me, head to michellekapler.com and click on work with me in the overhead menu. I can't wait to talk with you. Thank you.